All right, we'll turn to Romans chapter 14 this morning. What a Savior. Jesus died for us that we could have eternal life. What a, a simple truth, but so life-changing. What a Savior, our wonderful Lord. Wow, that's uh, powerful. Thanks uh, for worshiping together and encouraging my heart this morning. Um, we have been talking about the church for a couple of weeks, and we titled our series, Loving What Jesus Loved. Jesus loves the church. And Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And here's how much he loves us. He gave himself for us. He sacrificed himself. And a few weeks ago, we looked at 1 Timothy. It's a pastoral letter, a letter that was written to uh, the pastor of this local church. And he said in, in 1 Timothy 2, I want there to be a priority in prayer. I want you to be a praying church. My house is to be a house of prayer. So as we begin our service today, let's just bow our heads. If you are uh, at home or in the office uh, online, why don't you do the same? Just bow your heads and uh, just talk to Jesus for a minute. Maybe there's something that you need to uh, cast upon him who cares, or maybe there's something you just really messed up recently. You just need to confess that, or you just want to lift up your heart and praise him for a second. Let's just do that for a moment. Dear Father, we come to you. We know you love us and you sent your son to be our savior. Today, as we gather as the house of prayer, your family, the household of faith, Lord, we exalt you for who you are. And today, as we talk about uh, Romans 14, I pray you'd give us insights and better understanding that as we leave here, that we would become more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, so glad you are here. We're going to have a hot day, and uh, like 95, so uh, glad that you've joined us. Pray that you'll have a, a great uh, day this afternoon and this week. And uh, what I desire in our services is that this isn't just an hour that we kind of focus on God and just go to our, our regular life, but that we allow this time to impact the decisions we make throughout this coming week. So ask God as, uh, as you hear what his word has to say, how this can apply to our church, our community, your personal family, if you're married, your marriage, uh, the relationships that you have, whether it be on a sports team at work or somewhere else. And uh, I know school's wrapping up about right now, so uh, finishing that up, but maybe you are, are continuing some schooling through the summer. And God wants us to have this incredible spirit of unity in our life. He wants us to be unifiers. Now, we know that for one reason in John 17, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's praying to his father. And he says in John 17, 20, I do not pray for these alone, talking about his uh, current disciples, but also for those who will believe. There he's praying for you and I. He said, everybody that's ever gonna believe on me in the future, if you know Jesus as your savior, you've put your faith and trust in him. He's praying for you right now. For those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. He was praying that we would be united. As you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us. And he gives us a reason why this unity is so important. 
that the world may believe that you sent me. See, the purpose of the church is to fulfill the great commission. We are to go into the world and share the love of Christ. People get saved, they get baptized, they get connected to a church, and then we grow in our spiritual life, and then we go back out and share the good news with others and just allow that process to continue. And he's saying, I want you to be unified because it's very important that we get this message out. For those that are going to believe, believe in Jesus. He's saying, I want you to be united. I want the church united. I want your family united. I want your personal relationships to be honoring to God. You see, the, the government can't do this. It can't be something that we can be educated in. We can't even do it of our own making. The problem is our heart. James 4 says this, where do wars and fightings come from among you? He's gonna answer the question, why do you fight in your marriage or why do you fight in your home or why do you uh, can't get along driving up 95 or why are there wars in this world? Why is there division in this world? Well, it's not an economic issue or an education issue. James says it this way, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that warn your members? These selfish desires or lust that we have, wanting to do our own thing, our pride, our selfishness, this sin nature. Someone said, we don't have a skin problem, we have a sin problem. Education can't fix it, government can't fix it, even our own families can't fix it. It's the gospel that can change the heart. It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's through his grace as God works within us that we could be different. The book of Romans was written to believers that had various backgrounds. There were Jews in Rome and their background was following the Old Testament, a very legalistic uh, society where with certain codes and ceremonies and rituals and certain things that they did. The, the Jews would even have added to the Old Testament to make it a very rigid belief system. And then there were Gentiles that were pagans. They would worship at, uh, uh, their priests would be prostitutes and a very ungodly demonic form of worship. And so you had these Jews and these Gentiles coming together and now they were to be the church. You can imagine the various differences they have, just like we in our own country. We have political differences, we have economic differences, we have educational differences, we have different career paths we go down, different ideas of, of morality. I opened up my calendar uh, this week and first thing on the calendar, it said, oh, this is Pride Month. And I was like, did Christia put that on the calendar? Why is that on the calendar? You know, she kind of controls the calendar. But it, and, and so I, I did look it up and it said, you know, national holiday. So I'm glad you didn't uh, do that. But we have affirming churches as well. It says, you know, do whatever you want. Live any way uh, that you want. We have different ethnicities. We have different denominational preferences and stuff. And, and in our country today, there are many opportunities for division, aren't there? Well, the struggle was even greater 2,000 years ago. And the Apostle Paul writes this book of Romans. And he says, if we can focus on the death, burial, and resurrection, God's grace, his forgiveness, the gospel, then we can have unity. 
Let me give you an overview of the book of Romans. It will help us as we get to chapter 14. But I just want to read you a few verses. The first part of Romans tells us that all of us have failed God. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what? Whether you were brought up in church or this is your first time to church, all of us are sinners. We don't come to church because we have our life in order. We come to church because we recognize it's not. Every one of us have failed God. God has a moral code and every one of us have broken it. That's the purpose of the Ten Commandments, to tell us that we are all sinners. Nobody here is sinless. And then in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for people that cleaned their life up and straightened themselves up and were on the right path. And he said, okay, I'll die for them. No, he gave his life for us during our sin, during our rebellion, when we want to go our own path, our own selfish courses in life. Jesus died for us. He took our place. He became our substitute. He paid for our sins. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. That means to be separated from God forever. The result of my sin is separation from God, death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. What's a gift? Somebody purchased it and they offer it to us and all we have to do is receive it, right? Jesus purchased our salvation. He died in our place. He was our substitute. And he offers us salvation, but we still have to receive it. Now, how do we receive it? Well, Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, so I need to admit that I'm a sinner and confess that Jesus is the Savior, and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be delivered. You'll be forgiven. You want to know for sure you're going to heaven? Confess with your mouth, mouth and believe in your heart. He doesn't say that you were born a Christian, that you've always been a Christian. Sometimes, oh, I've always believed in God. <clears throat> that can't get you to heaven. There's got to be that point that you have called on his name. At what point did you call on Jesus? He goes on in verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made into salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And right in the middle of that, you probably have looked at these verses if you've ever studied Romans before, but one of these verses we skip over, but it has a lot to do with today's message. Look at Romans 10, 12. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. There's no distinction, he says here. There's no difference between the Jew that had a very moral background and the Gentile that had, most of them had a very immoral background. And he said, there's no difference because all of us are on the same plane, all of us have failed God. And also, they had trusted in Jesus as their savior. He is our heavenly father. And we could fight about our cultural background. We could talk about uh, uh, what uh, kind of issues are best and what's not best. But he said, I want you to understand, there's no difference between us anymore. We are God's children. So he says in verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord, he's talking about the Lord. He is to be our leader. 
And if he is our master, if he is our boss, if he's first place in our life, then everything else will fall into place. He goes on from chapter 10, he talks about spiritual gifts and and, uh, Romans 12, and then he gets to our text for the day, Romans 14. He's writing to these individuals, as I said, with very different backgrounds. They have different ideas about what's right and wrong. Their uh, ethnicity was different. What made them uh, proud in their past, their heritage was very different. And now they've come together. And as they come together, guess what? They don't always agree. I know when I do marriage counseling, a young couple comes together and they think everything's just going to work out and be fine and great. And then, you know, you meet with them later and they realize, hey, you know, we are having some problems in our marriage. Everything's not easy. It wasn't as smooth as we kind of expected it to be early on. Any relationship's that way, right? Nobody has a perfect relationship. None of us have this uh, uh, within our our relationships where we don't have issues. Why? Because it goes back to that sin nature. But it's God's grace that can bring us together. And today we're gonna talk about the priesthood of the believer. In the Old Testament, they had priests, they couldn't go directly to God. Today we can go directly to God. The pagan Gentiles, they had priests that they would go to. Jesus died and through his blood, we can go directly to Jesus now. We don't have to have a priest. We can go directly to God. It's an amazing privilege that God gives to us and he wants us to use this. There is freedom of conscience in our life. And Romans 14, 12 says this. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. Each of us will give account of himself to God. What does that mean? I want to give you two thoughts this morning. The first is simply this, freedom. You have freedom in Jesus Christ. You are accountable to God, which means ultimately none of us will stand before another individual to give an account. Now, if you're still at home, uh, you can't say, well, the pastor said I don't have to listen to you. And certainly that's not the case. You live at home. We have rules at home. We have rules in the government. Certainly <clears throat> there are consequences for decisions we make. But here's a question I wrote down and I, I want you to consider today. How many poor decisions have you made in life? All right. You ever made a poor decision? All right. How many poor decisions have you made in life because you were worried what someone else would think. Teens, have a good number of teens here today. Just think about this. How many times have you been so worried about what someone else would think? And ultimately, you don't give account of that individual. You may not fit into the group. You may not uh, uh, be the most popular. You may not uh, be the height of social media or whatever. But if you are so worried what people think in life, you're gonna make decisions that can really ruin your life. How many poor decisions have you made in life because you were worried what someone else would think? There's freedom in Jesus Christ. When I understand that I am not gonna stand before a pastor one day, I'm not gonna stand before my parents one day, I'm gonna stand before God one day. God has given me freedom to follow after him. 
this liberty that we have as individuals. Now listen, in this liberty, you have freedom to believe what you want and you have freedom to interpret the Bible as you want. It's a very freeing thing. Now, in Romans 14, there were two main issues that were going on. They were diet and days, is the way I always think about it. Diet, what food you ate, and then days, what day you worshiped on. And there was a lot of arguing. Remember, the Jews and Gentiles had varied backgrounds that are trying to come together in unity, but they have a diverse idea about what is right and wrong in some of these areas. So <clears throat> they're not quite getting along. So Paul is writing this letter to answer those questions to him. And he says, I want you to understand you have freedom. Romans 14, 2 says this, for one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak only eats er vegetables or herbs. One guy says, I can eat whatever I want. Now, the Jews remember the customs that they had in the, the Old Testament. Certain food was clean, certain food was unclean. That was part of it. But on a larger scale, the bigger factor is what they called eating idol meat. Meat that had been offered to idols. Remember these pagan Gentiles, now they've become Christians. But their background is they would have gone into the pagan temples and offered to the false gods a sacrifice just like Jews would do. Most people had a priest, most had sacrifices, and they would offer this meat in sacrifice. That priest would take that meat and eat what he wanted, and then he would take it to the market and would sell that meat less expensive than what some other people would be doing. He was a good businessman. He wanted this money, so he would take this meat and would sell it. And so people would go to the market to buy some food, and here's a filet mignon for $20 a pound, and then here's a filet mignon for $10 a pound. I'll just kind of deal with it that way. And some people are looking, hmm, that one's been offered to idols. I don't want to eat that. And so I'm going to pay $20 for this filet mignon over here. And someone else, probably somebody like me, would say, you know what, I like coupons. I like buy one, get one free, you know, all those kind of things. If I can't, <clears throat> and I would look at it and think, they're both a nice piece of meat. It's a nice steak there. And I'm gonna, if I can buy it for $10 and over $20, I'm going to get that one. So you take that and you're eating with a group of people and you're sitting down and there was a guy that had been a pagan. Maybe he was even a pagan priest. He had offered sacrifice to these devils, to these demons. And they put a steak before him and he says, man, I can't, I'm, let me tell you, I got the best deal on that steak today. I bought it from so-and-so. You mean this meat has been offered to a pagan idol? Yeah, I just can't eat it as I think about where I've been. And the guy beside him, that's me again, he'd say, if you're not going to eat it, can I eat it? You know, I don't want it to go to waste or anything. And, but they would debate over these issues. And that their conscience was, was really getting to them. And one said, I can eat this. And another said, it's all right to eat it. Now, what's right and what's wrong? Well, notice what he says there. For one believes he may eat. But he who is weak only eats vegetables. Paul said this, it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong in this situation. When it comes to this issue, we can have different ideas. You have freedom to decide on what you believe. Verse 5, he says this, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Now think about this. What is the most holy day of the week? Or I could ask it this way, what's the most holy day 
of the year. Someone may say, Resurrection Sunday is the most holy day of the year. Or you may say, I can tell you the most holy day of the year. That's why I'm in church right now. You know, it's Sunday morning. Jesus resurrected on a Sunday and the early church transitioned from the Sabbath to going to church on Sunday and worshiping God because of the resurrection. That's the most holy day. And I understand that and that's why we're worshiping on Sunday. But Paul is saying this. What is the most holy day of the week? Some say one day is better than another. Some day, every day is alike. See, if we're not careful, we say Sunday is a holy day, but Monday through Saturday is my day. There's a big problem with that, isn't it? If you say every day is alike, every day is the Lord's day. Every day belongs to Jesus, and I would say you're right about that too, right? And Paul was saying, you may esteem one day above another or you see every day alike, but here's the issue. It doesn't really matter what you believe on this issue. It matters where is your heart before God because we give account to God. There's incredible freedom as we understand this. You can make up your own mind. You say, well, my church teaches this. Well, it doesn't, doesn't matter because you don't stand before the church one day. Well, I was brought up and this is the way I was taught by my parents. Hey, you know what? One day you're going to have to make your own decision. doesn't even matter what decision your parents make. Today, we're honoring our graduates and uh, they are moving uh, ahead into the next phase of life. They are going to have to start adulting soon, right? And they're going to have to make their own decisions in life. And it's not going to be based on, well, okay, we're going to do this just because my parents did it, but you're going you're to come to face, what do I really believe in life? And so he goes on this verse, let each be fully convinced in his own mind. There's incredible freedom, <clears throat> but you need to be fully convinced. See, there's a lot of decisions. There's a lot more decisions that young people are making today uh, than most of us had to make 20 or 30 years ago. I mean, there's, the world's become a lot bigger. What's right and what's wrong? Should I be involved in this? Should I not be involved in that? Life is not simple. But before you move ahead in a certain phase of life, be fully persuaded in your own mind. Know clearly what the scriptures have to say. You see, there's great freedom, but there's incredible responsibility as well. Be fully convinced in your own mind. Look at verse 6, Romans 14, 6. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. You see, this is about our relationship with the Lord. He who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He's like, every day's the same. I, you know, one day's not above another. I'm just serving the Lord seven days a week. He who eats, eats to the Lord and he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat, to the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. So, okay, I'm not going to eat this certain food. I'm not going to drink these certain drinks because I'm following my Lord. I don't want to be involved in these areas. And Paul said, as long as you're doing it for the Lord, you have freedom. But remember, there's great responsibility. Romans 14, 11, for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. Wow, I'm going to stand before God one day. Those that have never accepted Christ will bow before him before they face eternity without Christ. 
And you and I, if you have trusted in Jesus as your Savior, will stand before him at a different judgment, a judgment that's called the judgment seat of Christ, to give stewardship, an account of your stewardship of the way you live for God. Every knee will bow, every tongue confess, and then the main text we're looking at today, so then, verse 12, so then each of us shall give account of himself to God. You can make your own decisions. As we become adults, as we become independent and do our own thing, we can do our own thing. But he's saying, don't forget that you still have great responsibility. There are consequences for the decisions we make in life. Our beliefs are vital. It's important for us to look at these things. You can have <clears throat> disagreements and still be unified as long as Christ is Lord of your life. But there will be disagreements. If you follow me on uh, Facebook the other day, I, I don't know why I did it, but something popped up on the, my Facebook as I was looking at it and said, make an avatar. So I decided to make an avatar of myself and I did my best and uh, I showed my wife my avatar and said, hey, what do you think? She said, well, you're too skinny and too young. Outside of that, it's pretty good. And so she changed it up for me a little bit and uh, made it look more realistic. Some people said, hey, nice avatar, really looks like you which uh, I thought for sure I was skinnier. But anyway, uh, but uh, you, know, you don't always agree on things in life, right? We all have differences in life. But you can disagree and still be united. You can have some diversity in life. You don't have to agree on everything, on every uh, church issue or whatever. We do have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit, though. You see, as a church, we're independent. We don't have controls by uh, other churches but we are dependent on Jesus. He's the head of this church. And as members of this church, we pray and seek direction from his spirit and through the scriptures, not to do what we want, but to do what he wants. So let me give you two applications. First, focus on being like-minded. If we have the same Bible, the same Holy Spirit, the same salvation, we should be in agreement. Focus on being like-minded. Romans 15, 5. Now may the God of patience and of comfort grant you to be like-minded one toward another. Ideally, in your marriage, you are like-minded on the way you're raising your kids. You're like-minded on the way you deal with finances. You're like-minded in the way that you communicate. This should be the norm, and it should be the same for us as a church as well. Be like-minded one, uh, 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 one toward another. Verse 6, that you may, notice why he wants us to be united, with one mind and one mouth glorify God. You see what God wants? He wants you to be unified. He wants you to be one. He wants your marriage to be unified. He wants our church unified. He wants our country to be unified, our community, at work, wherever we are. We are to focus on being like-minded. On major issues of life, we need to be in agreement. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning of our common salvation, so he's saying all these people had trusted Christ as Savior, I find it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith. It's an interesting phrase, to contend. You know what the word contend means, right? It means to fight. And there are certain issues we should fight for, earnestly contending for the faith. 
the main teachings, the foundational truths of the Bible. Remember this year we're talking about the truth setting us free. We need to be like-minded. That's God's plan in life on the major issues. But on the minor issues, we need to make allowances. Romans 14, 19, therefore, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the things whereby we may edify one another. We are to be peacemakers. Now, I love to study doctrine. I love to talk about it. I enjoy getting together with someone and trying to uh, make sure we understand the process of how to break the scriptures apart and have that understanding. But if we're not careful, we just want to prove somebody else wrong with our belief. You know, knowledge puffs up, but charity edifies. We want to prove everybody to, to everybody else that they're wrong and we're right and we're smarter than them. It's not a healthy way to live. It's not a healthy way to have a marriage or to raise our kids or work or whatever. We can allow for minor differences and we need to focus on peace. Let me give you an illustration. When I was associate pastor, my pastor came to me and, and uh, so I was young, kind of, you know, a renegade and had, had everything kind of figured out. And he said, you know, we need to be salt of the earth. And so all of our staff, all the pastoral staff is going to go to the March for Life up in D.C., and I really didn't want to go. And I said to him, hey, I believe being the salt of the earth doesn't mean we're involved politically, but we should be involved uh, in evangelism. And he looked at me and said, well, we have different ideas, but we're leaving at 9 o'clock on whatever that date was. And, and I went. That was the end of the discussion. You know what he was saying? doesn't really matter on some things. This is just what we're doing. We're unified and we're working together as a team. There's incredible freedom as a believer. I mean, you can interpret the Bible on your own, but there is great responsibility. Young people, as you move into this world and you start driving and you start getting a job and you go to college, the people you hang around, the things you're involved in, well, what's such a big deal about this? Why did my parents think it was wrong? What's wrong with this lifestyle? What's wrong with this practice? Why can't I get involved in this habit? What's the big deal? So you have incredible freedom. But remember in your responsibility, you will stand before Jesus one day. Could you imagine seeing the scars on his head from that crown of thorns? The holes in his hands from him dying for us? The wound in his side and his feet? the marks upon his back, and we stand before him, not for our sins, but for the life that we chose to live before him, the stewardship of our time, our gifts and abilities, and we give an account of our life, that responsibility. There's a story I was reading, <clears throat> a book by Erwin Lutzer, is a great pastor from a church called Moody Church up in Chicago. And he wrote a new book, fantastic book, but he, he talked about this guy named Latimer. Maybe you've heard of him, a reformer. And Pastor Lutzer said, one of my heroes is the 16th century reformer, Hugh Latimer. When asked to preach in front of King Henry VIII, 
he struggled with exactly what to say. You'll recall that Henry had the reputation of chopping off the heads of his enemies, including two of his wives. As he spoke, Latimer struggled within himself. He's, he's talking within himself while he's preaching before King Henry VIII. Latimer, Latimer, do you remember that you are speaking before the high and mighty king, King Henry VIII, who has the power to command you to be sent to prison and how he can have your head cut off if it please him? Will you not take care to say nothing that will offend his royal ears? He paused for a moment, then continued. Latimer, Latimer, do you not remember that you are speaking before the King of kings and Lord of lords? Before him at whose throne Henry VIII will stand, before him to whom one day you will also give an account of yourself. Latimer, Latimer, be faithful to your master and declare all of God's words. Let's bow our heads for just a moment. What incredible freedom that we have in Christ. That freedom, that grace should show, so unite our hearts together that we love him and love one another even more. The gratitude of our hearts. <clears throat> Maybe you could just pray right now for unity in your home, unity in your marriage, unity with your friends. What are those relationships that are struggling? Those things that war within us because of those lusts, those selfish desires. Let's let Jesus change our hearts. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, call upon him. We went through the gospel just a few minutes ago. The only thing that can ultimately change our hearts and unite our lives under the headship of Jesus. Call upon the Lord today. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And right now I trust Jesus to come into my life. Forgive my sins and take me to heaven when I die. Lord, I pray that would be a prayer that many, whether they're watching online or in this room, would have settled in their life. Convict them. Show them your incredible love that you demonstrated while we were yet sinners. You died for us. Thank you. And may your grace unite us. I pray for healing in relationships. And Lord, as we consider the priesthood of the believer, the incredible freedom and opportunities that you have given to us in this country that you have allowed us to have so many freedoms. May we be placed within your grace and reminded of the responsibility we have. Help us to live a life that's pleasing to you, that builds up others, that unites us in Jesus' name.